Some of us have been saved for a long time and God hasn't heard from you in a while. Like the prodigal son, you woke up one morning and you left and you never came back. God calls you and calls you and calls you and you never pick up. I mean, when was the last time you opened your Bible and you got on your knees and you said, Lord, here I am. I'm sorry. It's been a while, but I'm back now. Come home today. The world that we live in today emphasizes more than ever the need to find yourself. This is a phrase that we've been hearing a lot over the last several years. A common gym promotion advertises itself with this slogan, be fit, be well, and be you. Maybe you've heard something like that or similar. An apartment complex that is offering high-end luxury designs carries this line, an unlimited you. One school's marketing gave this advice to its current and prospective students. It says, be inspired, be challenged, be excellent, be you. People everywhere saying phrases like, be true to yourself, follow your hearts, be yourself, or you do you. We live in an age of unprecedented interest in the subject of personal identity. In our passage here, Proverbs 18.2, it reads, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Many young people today are desperate to leave home and be on their own so that they can, quote, find themselves. I've heard it. I've had, I've had friends who have gone on these, they call them spiritual journeys, where they go to these uh, exotic places and they do these long walks or these travels or they spend time isolated because they're, they were struggling at home. They couldn't figure out who they were or what, it, or what they wanted to do with their life. So they had to get away from it all, isolate from everything so that they can discover who they are, so that they can find themselves. But what does it mean to discover yourself, to find yourself? What exactly is entailed in this? And I suppose there's different answers for different people, but in reality, what most people are wanting to do is simply get away from everyone that is trying to tell them what they should and shouldn't do. They want to get away from everybody that's trying to tell them how they should live their life and find a nice, quiet place where they can like where they can figure out what they like to do or what they want to do with their own life and figure out what makes them happy with their life because after all, it's their life to live anyway. It's not anyone else's. Maybe you've heard things similar to this. They're tired of everyone telling them what they should or shouldn't do. They're stressed, they have anxiety, and they just want to be them. I read an article not too long ago that was entitled Nine Tips on how to find yourself. And it was, the article was written by a, uh, a life coach, and I think that's what they call, she called herself, a life coach. And, and a lot of the things on here, depending on the worldview that you're looking through, can actually seem pretty good at first. And I, I'm going to list them here for you. First one that was listed here is to visualize your ideal lifestyle. Okay, so visualize 
what you want to do, what makes you happy, where do you want to end up. Second was re- reflect on your relationships, to reflect on your relationships, people who are around you. Are they making you a better you or are they, are they pulling you apart? Number three is do things on your own. Okay, learn to do things on your own. Like I said, some of these by themselves, there's some good things from them. Number four, focus on your passions. Focus on your passions. Number five, keep yourself organized. Right? Pretty good one there. Number six, know when to unplug. Number seven, learn to differentiate support from opinions. Okay, learn who's who's trying to help you or learn who's just giving you what they think you should do. Uh, Make a list, number eight, of things you value about yourself. And number nine, keep learning about things that interest you. So when you look at this list, you know, from depending on the the view that you're looking at it from, you could see some, some pros and some cons to this. But might I add something here? These nine tips can be very helpful, but there's one thing in here that's precedented above everything else. And that's the word you. It's all about you. Most people today believe there is only one place to look to find yourself. And that is inward. If you want to find yourself, don't look here, don't look there, don't read about this, do that. You need to just look within. Personal identity is a do-it-yourself project, the world will say. All forms of external authority are to be rejected. And everyone's quest for self-expression should be celebrated. So whatever the outcome is, oh, this is what I found and discovered about myself, oh, happy for you. No matter what the outcome is, we should celebrate everyone's personal uh, self-discovery. You are who you feel yourself to be on the inside, and acting in accordance with this identity constitutes living authentically. So the only way to live and be real is to be who you want to be on the inside. Now, this movement, everything I've been reading, telling you about here, is a movement called the Expressive Individualism Movement. And it's taking over our world today. It's in, it's in movies, the theology, the psychology is in movies, it's in TV shows, it's in everything that we're following. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Expressive individualism replaces God with yourself. That's its ultimate goal and its aim, is to take God out of the picture and put you where God should be. And when self gets exalted, the result ends in personal chaos. That's what they don't teach you. You see, looking inward to find yourself will eventually fail you down the road. Many widely reported social trends suggest that life is getting worse rather than getting better. I don't need a social trend to tell me this. We can watch around. It seems like our world, when it's following itself, starts to get worse and worse over the years. And we could blame, we could point fingers at different things. People blame um, the rises in cases. You know, there's anxiety, there's depression, there's an explosion of narcissism in our world, the absence of compassion in our society. Culture is being quick to anger. People seem to be less content about their happiness and well-being. And we could blame things like, oh, it's media's fault. It's social media's fault. It's, it's technology. It's 
uh, crowd behavior. It's the failure of major institutions. We can blame politicians and we can blame churches. We can blame media. We can blame banks. You can blame everybody and everything, but these are just symptoms. I suggest that a big part of the problem comes from where we are looking to find ourselves in the first place. That means the solution includes a broader perspective. So may I suggest this, that in order to find yourself inwardly, you must look to God outwardly. It's the opposite of what the world says. And to be honest, the Bible is basically the opposite of what the world always says. Sometimes the logic isn't always there, but once you understand where God is coming from and you understand the scriptures, it's actually quite logical. Because back in our text here, Proverbs 18.2, the Bible says, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. You see, a foolish person wants only to discover itself, but not through the proper understandings and methods. That's what it says in the beginning. A fool hath no delight in understanding. It doesn't care about learning anything. It just wants to figure out what it wants to do. And it won't do it logically. It won't do it through the advice and wisdom of other people. It just wants to do what it wants to do. But if we are to know ourselves, we must look to the one that created ourselves. That seems logical to me. Let's go to the person, the God, that created us in the first place, and let's figure out who we are through him. And if I like to say this, first of all, this morning, that you are known by God. You are known by God. Turn with me to first, or sorry, to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139. I love this chapter. Psalm 139. I frequent it often. This is a psalm of David. And he starts out this chapter in a way that I challenge all of us to to start out as we uh, talk to the Lord each morning. But I want us to understand this first concept this morning is that you are known by God. First, uh, Psalm chapter 139, look at verse 1. The Bible says, O Lord, thou hast searched me. And what's those next two words? Say it again. O Lord, thou hast searched me and and known me. Thou knowest my down sittings and my uprisings. Thou understandest my thoughts from afar. Oh, I could keep reading this chapter. Do you realize that God knows you? Let me ask you a question. Who's the most famous person that knows you? Okay, think about it. Think about it. A famous, somebody who you consider famous in your mind. Think to yourself, okay, if I was sitting in a crowd... And this famous person was up on stage, and, and they, they, if they saw you, they would recognize you, and they would call your name out. Who's the most famous person that would call your name out? I'm not talking about famous people that you've seen, you've taken a picture of from a distance, you know, like a stalker. Ah, I've seen him. I know him so well. But I'm talking about somebody that knows you. And I thought about this, you know, and I have an advantage. I've traveled around America with my, my family, all up and down America uh, as missionaries. And, you know, I've been here, I've been there. And I thought to myself, you know, there's somebody really famous. I think, I think I know the most famous person that knows me. This person would call me out from a crowd. They, they would see me and they would know my name. You may not know this about me. Now, they might have trouble seeing me. I'm, I'm shorter than the average person. But assuming they could see me, 
Uh, this person actually knows me by name. His name is Pastor Stephen White. How many of you know Pastor Stephen White? Anybody know? Okay. All right. Pastor White. You know me, right? This is Pastor White, in case you didn't know. Um, I don't really know anybody that famous. He's probably the most famous person I know. I, I've, I've, been to, I've been to a school, and you know, there's like thousands of students at the school, but I don't think any of the teachers there would actually remember who I was. You know, I don't think the, the head pastor there would see me and say, hey, it's Tim Taylor. How are you doing? How's, your, how's the wife and kids? He doesn't know anything about me. I don't, I don't know anybody really famous. Maybe some of you do. I imagine somebody in his room knows somebody that's considered at least partly famous. Except I do know God. And God knows me. And I would say he's the greatest person ever, past, present, and future. And God here, O oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Not only has he known me, Psalm 91 verse 14 says, Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. Jesus even, God even knows my name. He knows me. He knows everything about me. Shouldn't I go to him when I'm, figured, when I'm kind of lost in myself and I, I've kind of lost direction? I don't really know what to do and I'm sort of trying to discover myself. Wouldn't I want to go to the creator who knows me? Everything about me being known by humans has its limitations given the imperfection and temporariness of human relationships. Well, one blessing of the gospel is that those who trust in Christ not only know God, but are also known by God. Intimately, personally, as his children, we get put into the family of God. We're now his children. We're part of his family. I know my, my, my children well. I know their quirks, their little things. I know what they like. I know Titus's favorite superheroes and all his favorite colors and uh, his favorite sharks and his favorite monster trucks. I know Titus personally on an on a, on a intimate level. My wife and my, my daughters, because they were family. My siblings and my brothers and my sisters. And God knows me like that, only even greater. Because in Psalm 139, he not only knows us, but he knows our thoughts. <laughs> he knows the good and the bad ones. You know, God knows you, but let me ask you the most important question in this world. Do you know God? Do you know him? Yeah, yeah, I know his name. I know the name God. There's lots of gods. No, no, no. No, no, do you know God? Yeah, I know about him. I read his Bible. I... I I know some of the stories. I know he rose from the dead. And, you know, I know some facts about God. But I don't, I'm asking about the facts. I'm asking, do you know him personally? Have you ever accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is he living in you? Are you one of his children? Are you a part of the family of God today? That's what I'm talking about. Because the first step to discovering yourself, to finding yourself, is to be known by God. And God does know you. And the second step is essentially to know God, to get to know the creator, the one that created you, the one that knows everything about you. Do you know him today? 
You see, we can have a lot of head knowledge about God, a lot of facts, a lot of figures, and somebody could even ask us questions about God, and you could even answer some of them. But I'm not talking about facts. I'm not talking about head knowledge. I'm talking about, do you know him in your hearts? Have you gotten down on your knees and said, God, I am a sinner. I have sinned. I have failed you time and time again. I've done this and I've done this. I've done this and I I still currently kind of struggle with this and this. And Lord, I want you to forgive me. And I want you to come into my life. I want you to change me. And I want you to make me one of your children. And God, and help me to live my life for you. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Do you know him today? If you want to discover yourself, if you want to know yourself, if you're struggling with this personal identity, the first thing you need to do is know God. And identity, this identity is a gift that shapes our conduct and character as God forms us into his likeness. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are created in the image and the likeness of Christ, and especially as we get saved, we become we get more into his likeness. But you understand today that God loves you and he wants you to know him. He's waiting to hear from you. Some of us have been saved for a long time, and God hasn't heard from you in a while. Like the prodigal son, you woke up one morning and you left and you never came back. God calls you and calls you and calls you and you never pick up. I mean, when was the last time you opened your Bible and you got on your knees and you said, Lord, here I am. I'm sorry. It's been a while, but I'm back now. Come home today. You are known by God, but not only are you known by God, you belong to God. You also belong to God. Look at this verse right here. Turn to the, to the right, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Oh, it's a blessing to know that God knows me. It's actually even a bit scary and intimidating, to be honest, to know that the King of kings and the Lord of lords even cares about me. He knows about me. He knows the the Bible. There's a verse that says he knows the the number of hairs on my head. There's another verse that says he knows when a, a bird, when a sparrow falls to the ground. God is aware of that. He is aware of everything that's taking place in our world. We are known by God, but even greater than that, we belong to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, the Bible says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do you realize today that your body doesn't even belong to you? Oh, this is, this is different than what the world teaches. <laughs> the world says it's your body, your choice. You do anything you want with your body because it's up to you. But I'm here to tell you today that God created you and that God is the one right here in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That means when you make a decision about your body, you should consult the, your creator, the owner of it first, and say, Lord, I was thinking about doing this with my body and doing this and doing that, but since I don't really own it, you own it, can I? Do I have permission? Is this something you would allow me to do? 
But we live in a world today where most people just do what they want to do. We listen to the cries and the cares of this world, and we never consider today the creator of it all, the owner of it all. And especially when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and especially when you step into the family of God. Oof. Then we go into verse 20 here. Ye were bought with a price. You realize that when Jesus Christ came to earth and died on the cross, he shed his blood, he was paying the price for your sins, for your body. He was doing it for you. He was purchasing you through him. He had to do all the work. He had to pay the sacrifice. We belong to him. And at first, you know, you may cringe and the world will cringe and say, no, 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 nobody owns me. I, I own my, myself. But let's just be honest. Even in our day of insisting on the priority and benefits of personal autonomy, there are many contexts in which belonging to somebody is used in a positive light. Isn't it amazing to know that there's somebody else on earth that loves and cares for you? Isn't that one of the major benefits of marriage? Is knowing that this person, to death, do us part? Oh, you're going to go through some bumps along the way. There's a few times where uh, you're not sure if you made the right decision, but through it all, you get through these trials, you get through these temptations, and in the end, you know this person is with me to the end. We're together. Speaking of that, there's a marriage uh, retreat this Saturday, and we'll, have a, we'll talk about that later. Every marriage couple should come to these. But you understand, there's something special about knowing that I belong to somebody else. And even though uh, on the outside we try to push it away and we want personal autonomy, there's nothing like knowing that somebody loves and cares for you deeply. When you're sick, when you're wounded, when, when you're going through something, and you get a phone call, you get a text and somebody says, hey, I noticed you weren't doing well, how you doing? Doesn't that make you feel good? Knowing that somebody's out there that, that loves you, that cares for you? And let me tell you something today. You may have a spouse, and they may love you, but their love can never compare to God's love for you. God loves you beyond measure. My beloved is mine, and I am his, as it says in the Song of Solomon. Given the social beings that we are, nothing gives us more of a sense of value and worth than being loved to such an extent that we belong to somebody. Kids these days, if, they don't, if they're not getting the proper love and attention from their parents, they go and find that love somewhere else because they want to belong somewhere. So they find this crowd and they go to this crowd and they find this crowd and this crowd and, and then all of a sudden the parents wake up one day and say, whoa, whoa, how, how are you? what are you doing with those kids? Not all the time it has something to do with the lack of love from parents. Sometimes it's just rebellion. But you understand today the need, the desire, the inerrant desire within us to be to belong somewhere, to be loved. And I'm here to tell you today that you belong to Jesus. You belong to God. You are known by God. You belong to God. To all those who are in Christ, the cross of Christ proclaims that God has claimed you as his very own, and you belong to him. But surrendering yourself in this way does not lead to this Well, I'll just say it this way. Number three, you cannot define yourself. As much as you try, as much as you want to, you cannot properly define who you are. You're trying to search your soul and trying to figure out what, 
what defines you, you know, what makes you you, but you can't do it. Because of this last verse I want you to go to, Colossians chapter 3. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. The world tries their best to look within and trying to discover what, what defines me as a person, but there's always going to be a struggle because you got to, first of all, go to the Creator. you got to know Him personally. You've got to understand that He already owns your body. He, he's purchased you. He's bought you. And, and then you realize just how difficult it is to define yourself because Colossians 3, verse 1 says this. If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? For ye are dead. (laughs) For, For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, oh, don't miss this. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, I don't have time to really dig into this, and there's a lot to unpack here. you got to read the rest of the chapter to get the full context and the chapter before, but just want you to understand something right here. When you are with Christ, Christ is your life. When you've given yourself to him, it doesn't matter who you think you are. It doesn't matter, discovering yourself doesn't matter anymore because it's not your life anyway. Your life is Christ. Paul says it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death doesn't mean anything, but my life is to be lived for Christ. And once you've given yourself to Christ and you're you're longing to be more like Christ, you don't even care about what you feel anymore. You don't care about searching deep inside to discover yourself Because it's not about you. It's about Him. Discovering yourself in itself, that desire, that longing, it's not a bad thing in itself. But when those feelings come of uh, self-discovery, just start discovering the Creator. Start getting to know Him more. And I'm telling you, a happiness will surpass you that you didn't know existed. Looking outward gives us a new and a better story in which to live. The story of God's love. This story also offers the ultimate expressive individualism. It asserts that you don't have it within you to define yourself. You need an intervention from the outside to help. The the fool in Proverbs 18, he didn't care about understanding. But you will understand that if you want to learn more about yourself, you've got to go on the outside and understand where it came from. Intriguingly, this story is based on the life of Jesus Christ and his love for you. So if I could end with this. When you feel the urge to be yourself, in most cases, don't. Instead, be more like God. When you are weary and tired of everyone telling you what to do, block everyone else out, even block yourself out, and just listen to the voice of God. After all, 
He created you, and He formed you in His image. He knows you better than anyone, and loves you more than you could ever even love yourself. So, stop looking within for help, and start looking above. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.